Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Today, we're going to look at a portion of Scripture that is addressed to a specific church. It's intended for followers of Jesus to hear. When the letter was written, the letter was, had a particular, the writer had a particular church in his mind, and this was one of several letters that were written to several different churches. I think, though, when we take these letters together, it, they paint a picture of what a church comprised of followers of Jesus should look like. So in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. That's another way of saying since you are a follower of Jesus, since you have accepted him, since you have placed your faith and trust in him. Since, you are, since that is the case, since you are a follower of Jesus, he says two things in these couple verses. Set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. So since we are a follower of Jesus and since all that theology that he taught us in chapter 1 and 2 are true, since all of those things are in play, then as a result we should overall set our minds and our hearts on things above. He goes down to verse 5 if you want to look and follow along with that we need to get rid of certain things because if we are setting our minds and our hearts on things above, there are things that are maybe in our lives that are inconsistent with having our hearts and our minds set on things above. So he says, get, he wants to tell us to get rid of certain things. But he uses a really strong term. He uses the term, put to death. So if these things are in our lives, they're supposed to be, we should put them to death to get rid of them. And he says a list of things, including sexual immorality, like impurity, and evil desire, and lust, and greed. And he says these things that we need to really just put to death because they're inconsistent with putting our hearts and setting our minds on things that are above. A few verses later in verse 8, he says that we need to get rid of other things as well. There are things that are maybe in our life that are really inconsistent with living the way Jesus wants us to live, with setting our hearts and our minds on things above. And so he tells us to get rid of anger. And he says to get rid of rage in, chapter, in verse 8. He says to get rid of slander and malice. He says don't lie to each other. He says get rid of your fil uh, filthy language if that's part of who you are. Get rid of all those things. And then if you skip down to verse 12, that's kind of an introduction. This is where we are. Setting our hearts and our minds on things above. Understanding that there are things in our lives that we need to get rid of because they're inconsistent with living in a way that we set our minds and our hearts on things above. And so in verse 12, it says, therefore, all that is kind of introduction, preliminaries. Therefore, he's going to tell us to clothe ourselves with certain things. As we've gotten rid of things, as we put certain things to death, as we set our hearts and our minds on things that are above, he says you should put certain things on. But look in that verse closely if you have it in front of you. Verse 12, he tells us that we are three things. There's three things that we are as followers of Jesus. And this isn't a comprehensive list, but in this context, he wants to highlight, therefore, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He says, as God's chosen people. That means if you are a follower of Jesus, God considers you part of his chosen people. He considers you next holy. Now, you and I might not live a holy life moment to moment, day to day. But because we are part of God's family, because we have asked Jesus to come into our life to be our Lord, our Savior, 
to forgive us for our sins because we have done those things. When God looks at us, he sees what Jesus Christ has done and therefore he can see us as holy. So he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Never forget. I need to continually remind myself, never forget that we are dearly loved by God. Sometimes our idea, our understanding of who God is and what he's like gets skewed, gets turned around sometimes. And here is a, a strong reminder that we are dearly loved be, by God. And so he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, he says, clothe yourselves with, and then he's going to give us a list. The idea of clothing yourself, I looked it up, and it's, there's a slipping it on kind of a, a a sense to the term. So it's not just get dressed, but there's slipping something on. And so I think of like a glove, like you slip your hand into a glove, like you're putting things on. I almost picture it like when you come home from a long day of work or you've been outside for a long time and you have a, a quick shower, maybe before supper, and then you put on something really comfortable. You just slip into something that's just something you're going to be able to relax and enjoy the rest of your day together with your family or just to relax and, and be comfortable in. So he says... Put these things, clothe, clothe yourself, be intentional and clothe yourself with certain things. The writer gives us a list. And he says, when you're going to put things on, make sure you put these things on. And he says, compassion. He says, kindness. Humility. And he says, patience. And he says, gentleness. So he says, that's what we need to put on. That's what we need to clothe ourselves with. And then in verse 13, he tells us some things that we're supposed to do as we interact with each, each other. So we have these attributes that we're supposed to put on. And then as we interact with each other, it says in verse 13 that we've got two things. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance, if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's go through that in verse 13. Bear with one another. This word bearing with is used about 17 times in the New Testament. In different situations, Jesus even uses it when he talks to his disciples. There was a man that brought his son to the disciples to have him healed. And the disciples were not able to heal, heal, their, heal that man's boy. And so the disciples, uh, the man left the disciples and brought his son to Jesus. And Jesus says, how long am I going to put up with this generation as though it was a difficult thing for him to put up with those disciples that weren't able to do what they were trying to do so we're focused and so that idea of in the new testament when this term is used it seems to be used to describe a situation where a person needs to accept or to continue to accept an unpleasant situation or person so either to accept or continue to accept an unpleasant situation or to accept or continue to accept an unpleasant person that's what this word, bear with one another, means. But he says in this passage that we are supposed to bear with one another in love. And we're supposed to, in that last verse, verse 14, it says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So back to verse 13, it says that we have two things, two different concepts that are there. It says that we are supposed to bear with and then forgive. They both have equal significance. They're both important, but they are distinct. Forgive, the second one mentioned, forgive implies, requires that there is an offense that's made. Someone has done something against you. Someone has done something to you. There is a, a wrong that has been done. Paul says that our response is supposed to be to forgive. 
But I was thinking, well, let's look and see where the exceptions are, because maybe there are some places where we don't, and there are no exceptions. Well, let's look and see if we can find out how long the delay can be between the time the offense happened and when we actually have to forgive. How much time? Well, there's no mention of time there. In fact, it says how we are supposed to forgive. At the end of verse 13, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we are in a situation where someone has wronged us, our forgiveness needs to be the same as Jesus' forgiveness for those who were against him. As he hung on the cross, paying the price for my sin and for your sin, for the sin of the world, he said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We are going to wrong each other. As believers, we're not perfect. Some moments, we're not that good even. But when we wrong one another, it says that we are supposed to be quick to forgive. We're going to say things that hurt. We might say things that are untrue about someone. I'm going to do something wrong against you. You might be doing something wrong against me. But when that happens, there must be forgiveness. There must be forgiveness in order for there to be unity and harmony. And that leads into that concept of bearing with each other. When it comes to harmony, that word harmony is kind of a musical term. And it implies that there's a difference. When you think of a song, you think of a melody. That's the tune, the tune that we all know when we think of that specific song. The harmony is a set of different notes that accompany the melody, and yet they exist together even though they're different, and there is something beautiful about it. It's good to listen to. It's good to hear that harmony. And that's what it means to when we bear with each other, knowing that there will be differences. There's an old poem that, just a, maybe a one line of a poem that says uh, something about to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, now that's another story. Bearing with each other can be difficult because it assumes differences. Differences between Christians. These might be differences in personality. They might be differences in perspective. Maybe our personal convictions are different. In a church of any size, there are people who have different personal convictions on different matters. We have people who have different viewpoints. Maybe even some different interpretations of some Bible passages, and even different ideas about what solutions, what need to be done in certain situations. So bearing with one another is something that needs to happen. These days, uh, sometimes anyway, husbands and wives are not willing to put up with uh, many normal irritations or difficulties of married life, and so they leave their marriages. Uh, even in churches, there are people that just don't want to put up with a minor irritation or something that's a difficulty, and they walk away from their church. Maybe they join another, or maybe they don't at all. It seems as though we've moved into a, a realm or a time of super sensitivity, where we're so sensitive to every little thing that everything's going to offend us, and we want to just walk away. That's how we deal with those kinds of situations. But God has told us that he wants us to bear with each other. He wants us to put up with each other. 
And there's other situations. It might not be lights for you. It might not be even within a marriage, but even, with, say, within our congregation, within our church, we have many different perspectives when it comes to all of what's happening with COVID and how we are responding and how we're supposed to respond. And people have different ideas when, when it comes to masks. We, I think we have someone that represents in our congregation probably that someone represents every part of the spectrum that's there. We have uh, the same kind of uh, differences when it comes to politics of who should vote for who and who we think and how can you be a Christian and vote for somebody else. We have all these perspectives of, of ourselves and we think everybody else should agree with us. In fact, I know that we've got so many different perspectives about politics in other countries, as though it's very important what each of us think about who gets elected in another country, and why what person should be voted for, and why they shouldn't be voted for, and who should go to jail, and who shouldn't be in jail, and all of, we have all these ideas, and we think it's so vital that everybody agrees with us, and when you don't agree with me, then and all of a sudden there's, we have conflict, and we get super sensitive to other people's opinions and other people's reactions. Putting up with is not the same as tolerate. I've used the word tolerate intentional, but this term putting up with doesn't really mean to tolerate. It's not gritting your teeth and getting through it. It's not that at all. There is a warm acceptance of a person that's implied. There is recognizing that there are differences and loving the other person for who and what they are. Because that next verse says, over everything we need to put on love. And that's the only way we get to unity. So there has to be this warm acceptance. It's not just, I'm going to put up with you because the Bible says I have to. There needs to be a warm acceptance. It needs to be all there accompanied by love. What kind of differences should we put up with? Back to that list that I mentioned before. Maybe personality. Maybe perspective. Different people have different perspectives, often based on their experience. So because you have a different experience from somebody else, you might have a different perspective on a specific matter. You have a different background. You've got different people that are in your lives that kind of have shaped your opinion on a certain matter. And somebody else has a completely different one. So we've got these different experiences, and that leads to a different perspective. Maybe we have different personal convictions. Maybe we have different ways of looking at things, a different viewpoint. And even when it comes to Bible, to the scriptures, maybe we have slightly different interpretations of some Bible passages. What do we do? How do we handle that? Romans 14 verse 1 says that we're supposed to accept each other. But it says without quarreling. Look that up if you want. Romans 14.1, it says that we should, that one person should accept another person without quarreling. And I'll have to be honest, uh, I didn't do well in that this week. So there have been times, and we all have difficult times, but when there is a difference of opinion, we have to be able to accept each other without quarreling over, it says, without quarreling over matters that are disputable. So that's assuming that there are going to be matters where there is a dispute. So sometimes it seems like it doesn't matter what the resolution of the dispute is. It's more important how we treat each other when we go through it. I wonder if we have enough of a perception of what's going on out here in the Christian world to know that not everybody believes that church should happen the way we do it or that church should happen the way a specific other church does it. We need to have an understanding that there is an acceptance. 
I might differ with other believers. You might differ with other believers in our church or in other churches in some areas. But we have to understand that we have a fundamental unity with each other. Whether I agree with someone on a specific point of theology or not. But unfortunately, Christians really aren't believing and practicing this the way we should. What are some areas that we need to... Um, these are areas that we need to work on. Um, when churches split, when people leave churches in groups, usually it's not because of theology. It's not usually because of what we understand God's word to say, a different understanding. It's often boiling down to personal preference or personality, other things. So it's just a matter of the fact that we can't seem to get along. Now, when we talk to people about church splits, we as Christians are usually good at cloaking our reasoning for our disagreement in theological jargon. But in reality, it's not based on theology. How can we bear with each other? Well, Ephesians 4 says, By this you will know that, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That is the telltale sign from the lips of Jesus of how someone can find that we are followers of Jesus. If we have love for each other. Jesus talked about unity in the days at the very end of his public ministry. It was so important to him that we dwell on and focus on unity. And it doesn't mean, again, uniformity. We don't have to agree, but we have to be unified as we go through our disagreements. We need to be willing to endure differences for a specific reason, for the maintenance of unity. God wants us to be unified. Notice the sequence in Colossians 3. If you still have open in uh, Colossians 3, first there's the attitudes. These are the attitudes that bear fruit in acceptance of one another. The attitudes are that list, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And second are the actions. It's the actions that are based on these attitudes. The actions are bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And ultimately, in verse 14, loving one another. These actions stem out of a godly and Christ-like attitude. Christian unity is central in this text. Christian unity. We need to be unified. So, I'm not saying that we have to agree with each other on every item. But when we disagree, maybe we have to learn how to disagree in love. We need to learn how to disagree properly, how to disagree appropriately. And I think there's an application for us with each other in a church. That's who was written to originally in a church. But I think within a church, there are marriages as well. And maybe this is a day where you say, I need to recommit myself to working through our marriage and not giving up on our marriage. The vows that people use today, if they have vows at all, aren't the same kind of pledge that people pledge to, used to pledge to each other of staying together and loving each other and being faithful to each other regardless of what happens in sickness or in health, for better or for worse. Usually it's only for better. These are the 
this must be a fundamental commitment to unity if there's going to be harmony. Those of us who are married, we need to reaffirm our commitment to unity and acceptance and forgiveness. We need to relate this to our church, within our church, each other. We need to have this commitment to unity, to understand that there are going to be differences. And that's okay for someone else to think differently than you and I. It's okay for you to think something differently than I. It's okay for me to think something. We don't have to fight about it. We don't have to quarrel about it. We can have a discussion. We can remember that we have to love each other. So I have to say, I think we made to understand that we need to get on with living our lives the way God wants us to live our lives. I'm not saying this is easy to do, but whoever said that doing God's word and living out God's word is supposed to be easy? But we need to get back to walking by the Spirit. We need to get back to leading, being led by the Spirit and allowing Him to teach us how to live and how to interact with each other. And only then will it be a possibility to achieve what God wants us to achieve. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Overall, in love. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no